Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. Capella University's game-changing FlexPath format helps you learn at your own pace and fit earning a degree into your life. From before you enroll to after you graduate, you'll be supported by people who are invested in your success so you can pursue your goals knowing that help is available if you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show on the Stansberry Radio Network. And is it, it's mostly, it's still only audio, right? Or is it video? As well? No, it's only audio. Don't worry, AJ. Aliani. We both have faces for radio. Uh, no, you're, <laughs> you more have a face for video than me. So this is only oh. audio. And by the way, I'm recording all of this. So. Okay, good. I didn't trim my ear hair, so I don't want people to have to be exposed to that. Well, and my breath is bad. So as long as that doesn't come across the podcast, we're, we're okay. <laughs> um, but I want to reintroduce you, AJ Jacobs, author of how many New York Times bestsellers? Four New York Times bestsellers. Yeah, Drop Dead Healthy, The Art of Living Biblically. Um, what's the Britannica one uh, called? The Know-It-All. The Know-It-All. Yes. And then, oh, now I'm blanking My on the My Life fourth. as an Experiment. My Life is I've read all of them, by the way. I just forget the titles. But they're all hilarious. Like, you're a naturally funny, humorous writer. And uh, they're all knowledgeable. Like, I learned things in each but more importantly, right now, you're working on this amazing project. You're going to break the world's record for the world's largest family reunion this coming June 2015. Is that it's still on? That's right. Oh, it's still on. June 6, 2015. And yes, this is a, a crazy revolution in family history. And I am now part of a family tree that's the biggest family tree ever in history. It's now up to 270 million people, including my cousin, James Altucher. Yes, and so, we're genetic testing-wise. You know, we, we, we figured it out. So uh, they, what are all the ways somebody can figure out they, they're your cousin? I just want to invite as many people as possible to your family reunion. Absolutely. Well, the best way is to go to my website, uh, globalfamilyreunion.com, and it'll tell you all these steps. You can do it. Uh, you don't have to do genetic testing, but you can. You can just uh, uh, go on these online trees and put in your grandparents' names, and it'll usually connect you. It's really remarkable. So I wanted to celebrate that and have this big festival of uh, music and speakers, and uh, and it's all to raise money for Alzheimer's. And we have an amazing lineup of speakers, including my cousin, James Altucher. So I'm super excited about that. I'm, I'm intimidated. Um, like, is, am I going to be speaking like right next to Bill Clinton or something? <laughs> or George Bush? We have, 
Do we have, we don't, oh, well, you know what? We do have the Bushes involved, even though I'm a Democrat. But we've got Henry Louis Gates uh, is speaking near you and uh, Dr. Oz. So we've got some great ones. Personally, I think, you know, you are my favorite cousin. Don't tell the others. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> hey, I but, cannot wait to hear what you say. By the way, AJ, I'm going to turn off my video just because I think it's affecting the internet connection a little bit. So you can turn off your fair video enough. as well. Yeah. I think we'll hear All each right, other better. Enough. Okay. Fair enough. By the way, uh, I, I want to explain uh, one productivity tip that you and I do, which is we do, instead of me traveling, you know, uptown or into New York City or, or you traipsing out in the cold and dealing with, you know, waiters and waitresses and menus and all that, we have Skype lunches where we get together for lunch, we get a sandwich each and we put ourselves in front of the computer and have a Skype lunch with each other and that's how we get together for lunch. I love it. I love it. And uh, yeah, as you say, no travel time. There are no waiters saying, is there anything else I can get you? Or, you know, you don't have to wait for the chat. And if you're savvy, I do a couple of Skype lunches who, with people who can put up backgrounds of like a French cafe. So it is, uh, I'm, I'm a big advocate of Skype lunch. I'm trying to spread Oh it man, I've got to be savvier. Although I'm, I'm in Miami right now, so I have limited means of what I can do with my background here. Well, that's a pretty good background, Miami. I'll take that. Yes. Um, but, uh, you know, I wanted to ask more about your family reunion. Like, who are some of your who are some of your cousins now that you've met face to face? And I'm just going to say it that are famous. <laughs> <laughs> well, what's amazing about this project is and anyone can do it. Uh, it's like the LinkedIn of the future, because. You can figure out how your cousins with almost anyone on earth. I'm like Barack Obama. He is my fifth great aunt's husband's brother's wife's seventh great nephew. So uh, I, I I love him like a first cousin, but he is. Uh, have you have you met him though? Have you met him? That one I have not met, but I have been able to meet uh, Daniel Radcliffe, for instance, uh, and we had an awesome conversation. He wanted to know how he was related to his girlfriend, which was, I thought, an interesting request. Yeah, it's, uh, like, it's, like, he, eight... it's like he wants to be incestuous. <laughs> I know. Very different from Harry Potter. <laughs> he admitted, he's like, I know this is an odd question. But I also met George H.W. Bush, the 41st president, and I went down to Houston. And it's an amazing introduction, amazing icebreaker, because I called his chief of staff and said, you know, I am the president's cousin. I'd love to interview him for this project. And she said, well, you are family. I guess we should let you come. And uh, and I interviewed him and he talked about I told him how he was related to Bill Clinton. And he was so excited. He loves Bill Clinton now. now yeah, they're, best they're best friends. Yeah. Yeah. So he said and Barbara Bush said, you know, I always thought Bill Clinton was a son from another mother. Huh. So uh, they were they were excited. But I have this monthly column in People magazine called uh, Interview with a Famous Cousin, uh, and it's it's a fantastic way to meet people. So I highly recommend getting on the tree and so, getting on it fast because in like three years, everyone's there's going to be apps that'll you'll put your iPhone up and it'll tell you how you're related to the guy you're having lunch with. So if you get in on it now, you can have a little you're you're ahead of the curve. Why why aren't those apps made right now? 
they're working on them. They might be out in a few months. I, I mean, it's not, it's not like this is rocket science. It's just you tie right into those big family trees on these websites. Exactly. It's going to happen. So who? So Daniel Radcliffe, George H.W. Bush, which also means, um, well, you know, who uh, you probably know this, but what's the who's the one president that is not related to all of the other presidents? Uh, yes, I saw that Martin Van Buren, not Obama. You think it's Obama, but Martin Van Buren because he has Dutch uh, and Dutch ancestry. But we can still link to him. He's still in there. He's still on the family tree. Well, then that means he's related to, to all the other presidents because you're related. Because if he's related to you and you're related to Barack Obama, who's related to every other president, and so is Martin Van Buren. That's right. He's in the family. It's it all. Sometimes it depends whether it's blood or marriage. So I think he is a, a cousin-in-law, Martin Van Buren. Well, we know you and I know through genetic testing that we're basically around third cousins by blood. I love that. So I feel like uh, I feel like your second or first cousin, but I'll take third. <laughs> now, what have you? So, so it feel I feel like you're doing you're building an entire business out of this in the sense that you're obviously writing a book. You're creating a lot of content through these columns. You're you're creating an entire mega conference at the World's Fair in New York City. Like, what's been the most challenging aspects of this for you? Well, as you say, it is. I love it. And I'm actually the conference itself will not make money because anything goes to Alzheimer's. But I just love the idea of connecting people. But it's a huge undertaking. It's like planning the biggest wedding ever. And I didn't even plan my own wedding. I mean, we want 10,000 people there. You, we want you to meet your most interesting cousins. And it's got so many moving parts. It's got you and you know you're a diva. You are uh, very demanding with your back backstage. Uh, only only me. green M and M's. All right, only green. I have that in your rider, absolutely. <laughs> but we have uh, music like Sister Sledge is coming to sing. We are family. I figured, how can we not have them come? Uh, and we want the biggest. Uh, How'd you get them? Uh, we want the. They, I just called them up and I explained, you know, we are, uh, you are, we can't have the biggest family reunion ever without singing We Are Family, and I, and it's for charity, so they so, said, so I'm in. AJ, so this is a very, this is a very interesting thing because you, a lot of people wonder how to do this, like how do you call people out of the blue and just say, hey, I'm doing this, can you do this for me? Like, what's your kind of obviously you're going in with a value proposition. Like with George Bush, you say, hey, I'm your cousin. Can you do this? With Sister Sledge, you know, it's a way for them to reinvigorate, uh, you know, or bring back their song in this huge appropriate context. Uh, but is there any kind of like technique you use for – I would be nervous cold calling all these people. Well, of course, you just have to be willing to be rejected. I mean, I've called many people who have not returned my calls. I've gotten a lot of calls back, but some are just ignored. So, yeah, uh, accept rejection, become one with rejection. Uh, also, I mean, this technique of saying I'm your cousin and here's how we're related, that's a huge one. I put up the fact that it's a fundraiser for Alzheimer's right up front because I think people are much more willing to do it. Uh, if they are, if it's for a good cause. Also, this was interesting. I've seen studies on this. People are much more willing to do it if it's if you either offer them a lot of money or nothing. 
you don't want to order uh, offer them a little money because then they're then they're like, well, no. But if you say it's nothing, then that and you're explaining it's for the good of the world. We're going to unite the world. We're going to make people uh, remember we're all one big family. We're going to uh, create world peace. Then we can. Uh, then it's much more likely. So so so, so go you, in free. You basically you basically offer many different value propositions because one might hit. So so uh, we're family. Um, it supports Alzheimer's research. Uh, in some cases, you might make a lot of money, or or in other cases, you, this is about world peace. So you offer these amazingly huge value propositions. Exactly. And the other thing is, I offer we're going to live stream it. So it's not just to the 10,000 people. It can reach hundreds of thousands. So that's interesting to people. And, you know, live streaming is not that hard. It's a little expensive, but it's not that hard. So if you're going to do something, open it up to the world. There's a much better chance you'll get people involved. Now, um, what ways can you make money off of this? I, I, want, <laughs> I, want, I want you personally, AJ, to make some money off this. So obviously you're selling your book. The conference is going to Alzheimer's research. Can you get other sponsors or something? We do have sponsors. We have uh, genealogy companies and some other corporations. And I'm waiting for you. You're my business guru. So I'm waiting for you to tell me how to make more money. Well, you, should, actually, have, you should have affiliate fees to the genealogy sites on your, um, on your website because people are going to your website yes. – to find out if you're a cousin, then they're going to either, you know, one of these genealogy sites. Those genealogy sites charge people to sign up. They should pay you a piece of that fee. It's true. It is true. I love it. Uh, I thought about that. I have to implement it. But, I, I, you know, I don't want to make I'm, I would like to make money on my book. Yes, because I'm writing a book about this. And actually, interestingly, you are the most creative book publisher in the business today. So you have inspired me with a couple of things. I have a couple of business plans for the book. One is that I am, uh, I plan to thank in the book, all of my cousins. So it'll just be like 40 pages of acknowledgements <laughs> to my cousins in like two point font. And then I'll be, I'll say, you know, you have to buy the book. You're in the acknowledgements, you know, your name is in there. So that's a great that's idea. One. Another one is, uh, I am I'm actually launching an Indiegogo campaign. I, I couldn't do Kickstarter because they don't do charities, but an Indiegogo campaign where I am going to uh, sell the book via Indiegogo and, and the profits do go to Alzheimer's. But it'll be uh, you can get a signed book. If you pay enough, you can get a dedication. I will dedicate. I'm, I told my wife, I'm sorry, sweetie. You know, you're out. Whoever pays ten thousand dollars will get this book solely dedicated to them and i'll write about how great they are so i'm selling the dedication i'm selling the acknowledgements uh, you want to be in the book you can that's great that reminds me of um do you know who jason surfer app is mm -mm. so he sells his last know. name like every year <laughs> so so like there's an there's an app called surfer and so now he's jason surfer app <laughs> fantastic yeah he, he's been on my yeah. podcast he makes a living from this and he sells his t-shirts he he like sells pieces of his life and that's like his business but then he and then he um you know speaks publicly about it and and i, I goes on the speaking tour 
I love it. And then someone sells the name, the naming rights to their baby. I think there's a baby out there named Nike or something. I don't I, know. I don't know that, but I remember this is um, 15 years ago. Um, Half.com uh, bought the name of a town in Oregon, and this town mm. changed their name to Half.com. I love that. Yeah. And then there were also, I think I read a story about getting tattoos on your forehead you can offer to do that i don't know how successful that is but yeah yeah it's a lot of creativity out there so so what have you what has surprised you the most in this pro like well actually i want to bring up something first because because you bring up a very interesting thing how this um the notion the concept of a larger and larger family is in 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 part a process of world peace and it's very interesting because if you look at it you know as mammals We've gone from tribes to, to villages to cities to kingdoms to empires to religions to these huge, you know, monetary, military, industrial empires like America. Uh, but the real unification comes when you get back to the point where we are all related. Like, why would we bomb our cousins? It's exactly right. We share 99.9% of our DNA. It's remarkable. And so uh, people who say, oh, you know, those people aren't quite human, they're, they're not just human. They're not just in the same species. They're the same family. So I do hope that it'll, it'll spur us to work together more because the big problems now, you really do need cooperation, like to take on the environmental disaster. We need cooperation of everyone in the world. And I it has... My own perspective. I'll give you a very trivial example, but it, it kind of uh, illustrates the point. You know Judge Judy. You're familiar with Judge Judy? Of course. Judy? Yes. Uh, I always found her incredibly abrasive, just nails on the chalkboard. Then I found out she's my eighth cousin three times removed. <laughs> And it shifted my perspective. I'm like, you know what? She's not so bad. She's just Judge Judy, just Cousin Judy doing her shtick. And it made me a little more accepting and tolerant of Judge Judy. And I know that that's, as I say, a bit of a trivial example. But I've heard from hundreds of people working on these massive family trees that you do get that feeling. You know what? We're all related. So let's let's try to cooperate a little more. It's really true. Like I've sent a couple of friends to your website and they've then realized they're cousins with you, which means that they're cousins with me. And so they know me. So they get, so they get extra excited. Hey, we're cousins. <laughs> and there is a certain <laughs> like excitement about it. It's fun. It's like the ultimate social network. I really think that uh, and Facebook in a, in a few years, I'm sure that'll be one of the things when you click on someone. You, it's not just that you share these friends. It's that you are 14th cousins with this person. So it's common. Have you ever um, read the book Slapstick by Kurt Vonnegut? I did. I love Kurt Vonnegut. I mean, he, oh, I think I know where you're going with this. Yeah, yeah he, tell me. He, he randomly so, – so this guy becomes president of the United States and then makes sure – Everybody gets randomly assigned like a last name that's like a flower. So like a da you know, this person's like Jack Daffodil twelve, and here this person's Mike Daffodil three. And so he he basically randomly makes people part of different families, and that kind of 
I guess, confuses people enough that it brings the world closer to peace. Although I, I, I haven't gotten to the end of the book yet. I'm reading it right now. So I don't know what happens. <laughs> I love that idea. I love that idea. And so, yeah, we are, we, as humans, we love our tribes. We do love our tribes. And, and that's fine. I think it's fun to yeah, root for a particular sports team or whatever. But if we take that tribal men mentality too far, that's where we get in trouble. Well, what's interesting, though, is this tendency towards unification over the past 13,000 years. Like we have gone from like just tribes of 20 people that will kill each other without even knowing each other to, again, these, you know, cities, kingdoms, empires and so on. And perhaps... Perhaps, AJ, you are leading in the next stage in kind of our cognitive revolution, realizing that we are all unified in some way. I like to think. I like to think. You're that, a prophet. Uh, I am. That's right. <laughs> That's exactly what I want to be. Now, how did you um, – there's so many details here. I would not be able to – it would be too frustrating for me. Like, have you built together and put together a mini organization to help you figure this all out? Yeah, and it's mostly volunteer because people are passionate about this idea. So I've got literally about three or four hundred volunteers working on every aspect of this, you know, uh, organizing the speakers and the music uh, right on down to the porta potties and how to connect to people. And there's a global family reunion cookbook with recipes from all over the world. So it's amazing if you have. Uh, an idea that that resonates with people and and people think the world is going to be a better place, which I do, then they will. You don't have to pay them. You will. They will join the movement for free. Thank God, because I don't have the money to pay them. I think you know. Let's. How many people do you think will attend the conference? Well, the or, or the, re the reunion. Record, I mean, the reunion. The current world record is forty five hundred for a family reunion. So I want at least five ten thousand. But yeah, the place is amazing, and it holds forty thousand, so it could be huge. Well, so we'll see. You know what? I'm I, counting on you to bring in everyone who listens to this podcast. So, uh, you know, I know it's huge now. So I'm I'm counting on you. Oh, you know, I'll, I'll even I'll write about this too because I'm very excited. But you know what you should do for everybody who who attends, you should make a T-shirt with the, those people on the t-shirt and how they're all connected, like the, you know, the genealogical tree that includes oh, everybody yeah. on the conference and then sell that for like $90. That is a good one. Yeah. I've been thinking of t-shirt. I love you introduced me to a very cool t-shirt. You had your entire book, uh, choose yourself printed on a t-shirt. Right. And that was like, that was, brilliant. That was 70,000 words. So you could definitely fit in. Um, like five, <laughs> 6,000 people on the T-shirt. And every word was readable. So people will be able to find right. themselves. I love that idea. Love it. So, so again, again, what else, uh, what other things have you learned from this process about family? And, and why, you know, I, I asked you this before, but I'll, I'll ask you it again. What got you started on this? I mean, it's such a powerful idea, but what got you started on it? I feel like I uh, I lost you for a second. Oh, oh I asked, what, what got you started on this idea? Like, it, it's such a powerful umbrella idea, which contains so many ideas within it. What got you personally down this well, path? This, I think this, it was, uh, it was very serendipitous. And I think that's part of life. You have to seize serendipity and a random, a random thing that might seem small 
you've got to, if, if it appeals, you've got to grab it and really follow it for a while. Because I got this email two years ago from this guy and he said, you don't know me, but I've read your books and I'm your 12th cousin. And I thought, okay, now he's going to ask me to wire $10,000 to a Nigerian bank account. Uh, but, but it turns out he was just this guy who's fascinated with family history. And he's one of these pioneers who's building the biggest family tree ever. And and that's what got me hooked. And just this idea that I could connect to all of my heroes through this family tree and, and maybe approach them. Now, I will say just... Just full disclosure, it's not always a good thing because I am also related to people like Jeffrey Dahmer, the serial killer. Uh, but that is through my wife's side. So I want to make that clear. <laughs> Although you are cousins with your wife. <laughs> That's the problem. So I'm going to call you on that. <laughs> good point. Uh, but yeah, no, that. So it's been a wild learning experience. But, and but, and, and I've learned. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. No. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, so it's an interesting part of the creative process. Like if so, a lot of times we get excited about many things during the day, but then they just sort of disappear, you know, by the time we go to sleep. I think it's good to kind of keep track of these little things that excite you because one of them might turn, might blossom into something huge. Absolutely. And I, I have a list literally like 500 page list of interesting things and ideas and I keep it on my computer and I try to go back to it every couple of weeks and look it over and there's there's so many I could pursue and some will turn out and some won't but the the key is to when something excites you write it down put it in your list and and pursue it then or if you don't have time pursue it later because I'll bet you Given that, given how wide an umbrella and concept this idea is, I bet you've gone back to your list and and you've done what I call idea sex. Like other ideas you've had have probably intersected with this idea uh, and to to you know to join forces with this idea, so to speak. Have you, has that happened? Absolutely. I love and I love your concept of idea sex. That is uh, that has been very inspiring to me. Um, and yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of the things is that I, I'm trying to get the word out. So it is, it's been just, uh, a fun creative exercise to figure out how this intersects with every, uh, every part of life. So if I want to get in a food blog or a food magazine, I talk about the global family reunion cookbook, uh, and then, I'm going to have all sorts of bands from all over the world. So that'll help me get into music blogs. So, yeah, I find I used to when I started out as a writer, I hated the idea of marketing. I was like, I became a writer, so I wouldn't have to do that. But now I've I've, I've reframed it as this creative act that is very. Oh, AJ, I'm starting to lose problems. you a little bit. Oh, sorry. OK, now you're back. How you doing? Good. So yes, the basic idea. I'm. I love. Uh, I love thinking of marketing as a creative endeavor instead of some sort of chore that you have to do after your book is written. You know, and I you're think the master of that. Well, I think it's fascinating because it, you know the world's a big place, right? So, it, but I think let, let's say I write a book. I think it might have uh, a particular appeal to dog owners, and it might have a particular appeal to accountants. So I don't mind reusing even 
similar or close to the same content on like a dog lover's website and on an accounting website. So it's, it's, it's very important to spread the word if you believe in it. And that I wrote a book about living by all the rules of the Bible. And I was, I tried to figure out how can I get this word out to everyone and, and anyone. And I, I thought, well, you know, women's magazines, they have a huge circulation. So, and the Bible surprisingly has quite a bit of sex and relationship stuff in there. So I pitched an article to Glamour, the uh, sex advice from the Bible, and they bought it. So I was able to get into Glamour by focusing on the sex. And I will say, and the Bible has some racy stuff. The the Song of Solomon is is a chapter in the Bible, and it says, your breasts, uh, it's a guy writing to a woman, he's like, your breasts are like twin gazelles frolicking among the lilies. I mean, that's pretty... uh, He had a way with words. That's racy. Yeah. (laughs) But you know... So that was one of my... Be creative with your compliments was one of my pieces of advice to the... uh, And and when did that article come out in Glamour? Well, that was when my book came out on the Bible, came about like six years ago. So that came out about six years ago. Right. So, But I did one in in a music magazine about biblical music. I mean, it's, it's fun to figure out how to split up your book or your product into all these different little slivers and market it to those slivers. So, so by the way, just for listeners who are writers or trying to make a living writing, there is no shame. And I, I hate to say this, AJ, there's no shame in looking back at your article and maybe doing a little additional original research on sex in the Bible and pitching the exact same article to Vogue right now, not for you, but for any of the listeners. <laughs> like Fair that, enough. that what in in 19 um 1990 like pre-internet or pre-web uh I was doing some stuff for a free local magazine in Pittsburgh and he said, you know, mm-hmm. 90% of our articles come from people you know trying to find the free local articles in like Seattle or Portland or LA or whatever and then just applying them to this town. So, oh yeah, that is interesting. Yeah, I remember when I was living in San Francisco and I uh, it was, and I uh, was friends with people who worked for the New York, for the San Francisco Chronicle. It was all about, yeah, taking a, an article in People magazine and finding the local angle. So it's, yeah, your inspiration can come from anywhere, including articles written by other people. Now, is the book finished? I'm curious now about your creative process on the book itself. No, it is so far from being finished. Please, I'm hoping my publisher is not listening right now. But yeah, this uh, organizing this festival is taking up so much time. I haven't had time to write the book, but I've been taking copious notes, and I feel there's so much material. It won't be that difficult to write the book. Uh, but this is the way I write a lot: is I, I try to experience this, the project, take huge numbers of notes, write some of it as I'm going along in journal style. Then go back and shape it. So like, for instance, when you visited George H.W. Bush, you probably took a lot of notes. Maybe you wrote a paragraph or two. I'm sure you interviewed him. Um, and then you let it sit. And then when you're writing the book, you'll form that into a, into a chapter of the book. Exactly. And that's how I've done it for all of my books. Now, you're you're an extremely good writer. I, I honestly, I'm not just saying this. I don't say this to every <laughs> guest I have. I, I, I love all your writing. And do you ever feel thank you, but I feel like for me, I have to write every day or I feel like I can almost feel it in my head. I feel like I lose the ability 
to connect up words and it takes me a couple of days to get back in shape. Like, do you ever feel that way? Well, I do write every day, but not, I mean, I write in my journal every day. For me, I think one of the keys writing is just what you said. It's it's getting a little momentum. Uh, So when I write down, when I sit down to a writing session, I know that a lot of, most of the time, the first 20 minutes of what I write is going to be crap. So, Uh. and if I'm stuck, if I have writer's block, often I will just start typing whatever is on my mind. Just I'll write about the pigeon on the ledge outside my window or that I'm drinking Indonesian coffee from Starbucks. Just the, the movement of your fingers over the keyboard is the important thing, the action, because then you start to get in the groove and you start to gather some momentum. And after 20 minutes, uh, then things start to flow and you can, you can toss out that first 20 minutes. So to me, Yes, the actual act of writing is so crucial to the final product. You you want to get going. You want the fingers on the keyboard moving. It's so funny you say that about the first 20 minutes because I find almost 100% of the time, even though I know this rule, almost 100% of the time after I finish writing something, like let's say it's an article, I can always throw mm-hmm. out the first paragraph and it will not change the meaning of the article at all. And it'll make the article better. That's interesting. That yeah. kind of is interesting. Even more interesting. Yeah, I, a lot. I, I, I could throw out the last paragraph also. Mm, I like that. Because instead yeah, of people, with, instead start, of people, Oh, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. Just start late and uh, finish early. As I, I, I think that's a phrase. I think someone said that. Oh, uh, you just if they did it. I'll take credit. For it. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I am. Uh, I've spent a lot of time thinking about writer's block because I have had it over the years. I actually did a study of all the writers and how they solved it. Like um, uh, he, he, Nabokov wrote while standing up and there was uh, Ben Franklin. He wrote while nude. And there's a philosopher who who wrote he needed the smell of rotten apples uh, and Stravinsky stood on his head. So I thought. One thing I did was I was like, what if I combined all these? So what if I stood on my head <laughs> naked with rotten apples around me, you know, in a bath because I Somerset <laughs> Maugham loved the bath. Uh, so that uh, that I, it didn't work for me, but because I think I almost drowned. <laughs> but, uh, but by the way, that, say, by the way, that's an excellent example of of. A brilliant example of idea sex. So instead of just writing about here's how 10 famous people dealt with writer's block, you then actually put yourself in the experience and wrote about that. Like I, that's a, a brilliant way to to think <laughs> about writing and think about topics. Okay. That's right. I tried to combine them all into one big orgy and it uh, and I was able to write about it. Uh, and, and and they were, you know, all of them, some work for some, for some people, some work. For me, as I said, the key is really just typing, just getting those words out and eventually getting into the groove. What, what about and, reading? Like, does reading inspire you to write? Like, you, you, do you read before you write? I, I do. I used to more. I used to more. I would take my favorite writer uh, and like, I would take like five 
books of writers I thought was great were great because I didn't want to just have one person's style in there, but I wanted to get in the mood of good writing. I wanted to get in a happy mood because I do think you're more creative when you're happy. So uh, I would read like from five different books and then be like, okay, I am in the writing zone. I'm going to produce something. What about you? Do you do that? Uh, I, I a hundred percent do that every time. I, I haven't moved beyond the stage of doing that. So like every day I'll read at least four or five books, like parts of them, like let's say 10% of each book. And, and before I start writing and I always vary it up, fiction, nonfiction, inspirational, uh, funny, you know, and, and so on. I love that. And then don't you, uh, I've been meaning to do this. Didn't you tell me at one point that you listened to something funny before you go out on stage to do a presentation? A hundred percent of the time. So uh, I gave a TEDx talks recently and I listened to uh, Louis C.K., Andy Samberg, Amy Schumer, uh, Jim Gaffigan. I love that. That's a brilliant and, and idea. I'll start that. I'll start that seventy-two hours in advance and just listen and listen really? and listen nonstop. Yeah, because I, I get nervous wow. speaking, so uh, I have to do that. Interesting. You and, do not look nervous speaking, by the way. Well, it's because I've done that, and so I literally. Um, what happens is your mirror neurons tr- trigger when you're watching them. So even if you're not kind of saying their jokes or whatever, your your body is moving like how their bodies are moving, your face is moving, your voices are moving or are sounding like their voices. And and they've they've spent, you know, twenty years mastering their art. So you get to borrow that a little bit. I love that. I love that. And when I was a started out as a writer, I hated I hated doing the talks and the radio interviews. They didn't have podcasts then, but uh but I, I, one of the keys was I forced myself to pretend that I liked it. And uh, after forcing myself to say yes all the time to these talks, I've, I've actually started to like it. I am, so it's, again, that's one of the big themes in all of the projects I've done is the whole idea of fake it till you make it, fake it till you become it. It's easier to act your, ooh, excuse me, easier to act your way into a new way of thinking than it is to think your way into a new way of acting. Wait, wait, say that again. It's easier to act your way into... I don't want... Yeah, this is from uh, the founder of Habitat for Humanity. I love the quote. He says, it's easier to act your way into a new way of thinking than to think your way into a new way of acting. So start with the action. If If you don't feel confident, pretend you're confident. Pretend you're cocky. Like when I was writing my book about being the healthiest person alive, I was... I woke up every day just in despair. And those first two hours, I was saying, you know, this is too big a topic. I'm never going to pull this off. I'm never going to make my deadline. But I would just pretend to be confident. I'd force myself to act. I'd I'd force myself to call the publisher and say, I think this book is going to be really big. So can we throw a launch party and and serve kale martinis and <laughs> and and I, all the and after a couple of hours of pretending, uh, it started to sink in, and I would start to feel really confident. Well, it must have worked this way for you on this book too, because when you first started, you had your own tiny little family tree, and yet you had the gall to think you were going to create the world's <laughs> largest family reunion. It's true. Delusional optimism is a wonderful thing, and sometimes it pays off. And in this case, it has. I mean, I have. I feel like I've got these thousands of people. We have over fifty thousand on our mailing list who are interested in becoming part of the tree. And 
and I think that people are excited about it. But as, yeah, I mean, when I did start, I definitely got a lot of reaction like, what do you, you know, this is, you're crazy. You know, this is not, this is too big a project. But, Except but yet, for you, James Alcher, you are always on my side. I, I think it's genius because of, of, of like, like you said, you know why it's genius? Because you can make the World Family Reunion cookbook out of it. And th- that tells me. There, you can make a T-shirt out of it. You can make a conference out of it. You can get Sister Sledge to sing for you for free. Like, <laughs> you know, it, it strikes me. It's such a big and, – and you're, all of your ideas are like this. Like Drop Dead Healthy gives you avenue, so many different avenues to pursue while you're trying to get healthy. And it strikes me that all of your ideas are like that, like the year of living biblically. Um you know, the, the reading the Britannica from A to Z, obviously there's 50,000 topics you can write about and you picked like, you know, a couple hundred of them to write about. So you have your creative process seems to allow you to come up with these big picture ideas that are then easy to kind of fill in as you write the book. Like, and, and that's why I'm very curious about your creative process. Like, uh, you know, and again, People think they need to come up with these ideas every day. You've come up with five of them. So it's not right. like you have to come up with them every day. But but what's very interesting to me is you keep notes every day. Like what are some ideas that you haven't acted on yet but you might in the future? Well, uh, yeah, there are definitely a lot. And by the way, I think uh, you and I have talked about this a lot because you have been an inspiration in just generate you and Claudia too – just generating ideas. It's a it's a quantity game because, as you say, I've had five of these ideas that have worked out, but I'm sure I've had 85 that have not. They're just terrible. There's a lot of terrible ideas in there. So you just got to keep going until you find the ones that stick. And I a lot. I think you do do this too. You I a lot 15 minutes a day just to brainstorming ideas, uh, and some of them are going to take off. But yeah, I have lots. I mean. I've had lots that I want to do that I just don't have time to do. I have some that um, that I want to do, but my wife puts the kibosh on them. Like actually, what? Well, what's an idea that, that Julie put the kibosh on? Well, there are a couple. This one was not just Julie, but I've gotten – I love it. Readers send in suggestions of your next project should be X, it should be Y. One popular one is that I should try to become the greatest lover in the world. And <laughs> Do all of the positions in the Kama Sutra, which you know it's an interesting idea for someone. Uh, not for me. I'm too old. I don't think I've I have the flexibility in my back to do all the positions in the Kama Sutra anymore. So I am going to pass on that. And my wife is like, no way, that is not going to happen. So that is a uh, great idea, though. That's a good it, idea. I'm. A, I would read that book. You know, the greatest lover in the world. Um, you know, uh, um, uh, I think uh, Simon Rich. You know, he is. I am a huge fan. Love him. Okay, so so Simon Rich has been on my podcast twice, actually. He's a really great guy. Youngest Saturday Night Live writer, uh, currently writing the sitcom Man Seeking Woman. But he's written, like, I think three collections of short stories and two novels. And But then he also wrote this book, um, kind of like a modern-day Kama Sutra, and it's really funny. It's like office workers doing the Kama Sutra. So it's <laughs> uh, it's funny. I got to pick that up. Yeah, he's a genius. He is, And he is prolific. Like, he is an idea machine, um, you know, you know what he does is he takes what? like a high stakes thing, like let's say the Bible or let's say like meeting a woman. And so he takes a high stakes scenario and then he makes it as absurd as possible because we can all relate to the stakes. But then and then he feels comfortable making it absurd. Mm, I like that. 
He's also good at literalization, which I think is a fun way to look at the world. So his show is all about uh, he goes out on a date with a a troll and not like a troll who's a, a, a mean person. It's an actual troll. Yeah. Uh, and I, I just love that way of looking at the world. And that's kind of what I did with the Bible. I took it as literally as possible. The Bible says you should stone adulterers. So I tried to stone adulterers. I mean, I used pebbles because I didn't want to go to jail forever. But uh, it's an interesting way to approach life. It's it's interesting because uh, with the Bible one, too, that's such a broad category because you could tie in history, biblical stories, your own experiences. Like, I feel like there's a, a process here for coming up with these what I what I'll call big umbrella ideas. I just I just love them so much, and you're very good at it. Um, oh well, thank. You. That's what I love is that I try to come up with ideas that have their umbrella that can encompass all sorts of directions. Uh, because there's other people who, and and this is a equally valid way to to write or think is to take one small tiny thing and then expand it. So there were all those books about the the history of the world as told by the history of salt or the or yes. the history of the the world as told by shoes. And that's I think a cool way to look at the world, but I prefer to start hugely broad like something huge like bible or health or sex explore, or sex or family and then explore a hundred different angles on it. What's uh so again I I I'm I'm just thinking like in terms of the art of creativity. So part of it is uh noticing things all day long and and writing things down that that even mildly excite you. Uh another idea is kind of of course combining ideas. Um you know what are what are some other ways another is of course coming up with these weird looks at, at things that people view in a, a daily way, like the Bible or health or family or sex. Uh, what are some other well, big picture? Taking it to taking things to the extreme uh, works for me. I'm actually, I'm not an extremist. I, I hate extremists. Um, but part of the idea in taking things to the extreme is to show it, it's absurd to take things to the extreme. So, but something like with, uh, with family, I'd always wanted to write about family, but I didn't feel my family was was that all that interesting enough to write about. But then I had this idea: well, what if I wrote about what if family isn't just my family; it's the whole human family. And what if we wrote about that? What if I tried to connect everybody in the world and throw the a family reunion for everybody? So it's taking that to the extreme. Or I remember this was like ten years ago. I read uh, "The World Is Flat" by Thomas Friedman. And he was talking about outsourcing and all of these banks and law firms outsourcing to India. And and I was like, well, I don't have a bank or a law firm. What can I, what can I do to get in on this? And I thought, well, what if I, I did it myself and I just took it to the extreme and outsourced everything in my life? So that's what I did. I hired a team of people in Bangalore, India, and they answered my phones for me and responded to emails for me and argued with my wife for me. And uh, <laughs> How did and she feel that she was arguing with somebody in Bangalore? Well, much better because they were so polite and delightful and they would, you know, they made me look terrible. They would apologize abjectly. They were not stubborn. <laughs> so she would be happy to have that uh, full time as as my <laughs> as my alter ego. I, 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 I love this because like take the family thing. You could obviously have written 
a history of the concept of family because that the concept of family has changed throughout the, cent- mm-hmm. the generations and the centuries. And now we have family where, you know, I have cousins all over the world. So that's like a mildly interesting thing. But now you, like you say, you took it to a, such an extreme that everyone is going to say when it's over, that was a great idea. Well, that thing. And the other key is to personalize it because I think people want to read about personal stories. I, I, there's a famous agent in New York, and she says, don't don't bring me a, a book about the Holocaust. Bring me Anne Frank's diary. So it's all about making it relatable. And uh, and when I, when I write my books, the parts that get the most reactions are the family, how my wife reacts when I refuse to touch her while she's menstruating during my Bible project. You know, that is interesting to people, making it really concrete. So it's sort of this interesting balance between a huge broad topic but making it very personal at the same time right so okay you take an everyday topic you you imagine what the possible extremes are here uh, as opposed to kind of writing about the history of the concept of family which is an interesting topic but it sounds like it could be a little academic or boring you decided uh, what would be the world's largest what, what's the concept of the world's largest family reunion? What does that look like? And then you make it personal that this is my world's largest family reunion. Uh, and also, I mean, a, a related idea is to make it personal to the reader. And that's what I think partly why this idea has resonated, because anyone can be my cousin. Anyone can be cousins with their hero, both Barack Obama or George Clooney or Nelson Mandela or Mother Teresa. So the People want to get involved because it's something it offers something to them that they can be part of this project. You know, all seven billion people on the on Earth can be part of this project. Right. And I think there's really something compelling about the fact of, you know, there's 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 meaning there. It's not just like, oh, so and so is Barack Obama's on uh, related to me. There's some meaning in that that goes deeper than just a, a, a node on the tree. I do think so. I think that as humans, we uh, we have a, a bias. You know, not everyone gets along with their family. I have plenty of cousins who I would be happy not to be related to. But there is also a human bias to think of your family in a, in a more favorable way than a stranger. Uh, so if, uh, you know, if you have to choose between a total stranger and someone even you're distantly related to, I think you're going to veer towards the distantly related. So taking this idea and just pushing it and saying, you know, what, we're related to everyone. Why don't we apply that to everyone? But, you know, that actually is the story of world unification that's been happening gradually over the past 10,000 years. Like you tell a story, like at first we were in these tribes, then you tell a story like, oh, I'm in America, you're in America. Mm. So, so if we run into each other in India, we can get along just because we know we're both, we, we believe in the story of America. Or you're, right. you're, uh, you're a Christian, I'm a Christian, and if we run into each other somewhere, we can vaguely trust each other because we believe in this common story. Family is also obviously a story, but there's something a little more genetic there or evolutionary because there's, there's a blood connection. So it's a very powerful story for, to, to kind of increase this unification. Absolutely. And I think this is the most fascinating time in history of families because the definition, as you say, is changing more rapidly than ever. Oh, we've got uh, sperm donorship and surrogate parents and open adoption and gay marriage. And, and now I just read a couple of weeks ago, there's uh Britain just approved three parent 
uh, eggs. So this would be DNA from three different people. So if your sperm has some horrible disease, you can replace the DNA with someone else's sperm. So that's going to... I mean, can you imagine? That's going to blow family trees wide open. Oh, my gosh. Three parents. It's just a crazy, fascinating time. So so, so there's also the fact that, you know, Homo sapiens, you know, as a species, weren't always a separate species from, let's say, Neanderthals. Like we, we have like, what is it, one to five percent Neanderthal in, in, our, in our blood. Yeah. Uh, and so so I don't know if you have anybody with, you know, 10 percent Neanderthal coming to the reunion. But <laughs> there's like some interesting things there, too. We're, we're related oh across God. species. Can you imagine? I mean, it's going to be fascinating when we do have the genome of the Neanderthal. So, uh, you know, in 20 years, someone's going to clone a Neanderthal. So that will be interesting when we have uh if we have Neanderthals walking among us again. But yeah, it, I mean, I love that. We're not, uh, we are part Neanderthal. I'm actually, I'm lower than average Neanderthal for a European, which I don't know. It, it made me feel, it, it gave me insecurity because I, you know, me too. I, I, well, because we're cousins, so we probably have the same amount like of Neanderthal. I think the average is something like 3%, and I was like 1.5%, something like that. Right. And 23andMe, they sell T-shirts. If you're over a certain percent, you can buy a T-shirt like, I'm a Neanderthal, and I will never get that T-shirt. So, yeah, it did It did sting. But but, it, but, but it's, it an, it's an interesting thing, by the way, because it's so – you know, if you're a different species from another – Animal, it means you can't uh, you can't have children with them. But obviously, at some right. point, Neanderthals and Homo sapiens were part of the same species, and then we split off. Oh yeah, and in fact, I wanted if I ever write a fiction, I, I thought it could be like a Romeo and Juliet, like this Neanderthal girl falls in love with the Homo sapiens boy, and the parents are like, "Oh no, this is terrible! This is terrible!" Okay, but hold hold on a second because the book has been written. Um, yeah, really? Yeah, yeah. Hold on. I will uh, find it for you this second. Uh, was it a novel? I it, was a, it was a science fiction novel by the guy who wrote uh, – gosh, I can't uh, – I can't think of the – I can't think of the author now. Otherwise, I would find him. All right. Um, I'm looking it up. It's Homo sapiens. Oh, yeah. The Neanderthal Parallax by Robert Sawyer. Oh, and, and that was like a love story? Yeah, the female was human and the male was Neanderthal. And, and there was like a bridge between two dimensions. So one dimension, the Neanderthals defeated the Homo sapiens. And in the other dimension, the Homo sapiens defeated the Neanderthals. Interesting. I love it. All right. I'm buying it. Yeah, it was, I, I enjoyed it. It was a great set of books, actually. Um, and he wrote a lot of stuff that you'll recognize. I, I forget them now, but you'll, he wrote a lot of a lot of books that you'll know. Um <laughs> So, so, so AJ, how can people find, how can people find out if they're your cousin? Where, where should they go? Well, it's, it is remarkably easy. I have to say, if you go to globalfamilyreunion.com and we have a little form and all you have to do is put in your grandparents' names. And then we have these hundreds of researchers who will help figure out how you're related. And, uh, and I would love it. We need people there. It's going to be awesome. There's, as I say, James Altucher is speaking, so you get to meet him. And you are, uh, we're going to break records and have a good time. And also, you don't have to be related to come. 
we're selling tickets. We just started selling tickets. Uh, and everyone in the human family is invited. So if you, if you buy a ticket and come there, we will try to help you connect at the reunion. And is, is this a true fact? At some point in human history, there was, or at some point in mammal history, there was a female who was the, mo- who was the mother of two daughters one who became the mother of all humans, the other was the mother of all chimpanzees. <laughs> I'm not sure of, but I do know that there was at one point a, um, there was an Eve. There was, an, and she wasn't, uh, I don't believe the literal version of the Bible, but there was uh, the, the Adam and Eve lived, according to scientists, not so long ago, 100,000 to 300,000 years ago. And we all have a little bit of their DNA in us. We can all trace back to, to the same great, 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 keep saying that for maybe two minutes. Grandmother and grandfather. That's an interesting fact. So, so what other, just one or two more, what are interesting facts have you learned on this, on this adventure so far? Well, the farthest cousin you have on Earth, there's an MIT computer scientist who did a study. And the farthest cousin you have on Earth, it could be you know, some person in a, in a tribe in Borneo, is probably the 70th cousin, which is not that far away. And most people in in Western world are much, much closer. So, you know, 15th, 10th. What, what like about that. what about Jews? Jews are crazy tight. Yeah, we are, uh, you know, there is so much interbreeding. Um, a lot of it was because no one else would breed with us. But uh, <laughs> so we are, I've heard different estimates. One geneticist told me like fourth cousins was the farthest uh, Jewish cousin you have. But I've also read 35th cousins. So wow. I think it's, uh, it's up for debate. But, there, but if you are a Jew, an Ashkenazi Jew, then you are, you are related. So I, you know, my wife is, so obviously I knew she was going to be my cousin. And what's another fun fact? Another fun fact. Well, here's one that's interesting. In, in Iceland, they uh, there was so much interbreeding. It's a small island, about 300,000 people. And they don't have the same last name system we do. So it's very hard to tell which family is which. And this became a problem. So they actually have an app, an iPhone app, where you put it up to the, to the other person and you figure out if you are cousins and if you're too close then you should not go on a date so that they actually had a tagline something like you know bump phones before you bump bodies and uh that's crazy it is crazy okay another fun fact (laughs) (laughs) it's okay if you run out all right i am i'm running out well this one is crazy speaking of cousin marriage according to this anthropologist at rutgers so he's no he's no slouch 80 percent of marriages through human history were second cousin or closer, which is just a remarkable, but, but you look back, you know, as you say, you were in small tribes. So who was available? It was your second cousin. And, uh, and there's weirdly, this is, uh, I've been thinking of writing about this, but I just don't know what to make of it yet. There's a movement in, a, in America to try to legalize first cousin marriage it's actually legal in 25 states. Half of the states say, yes, first cousins can marry. Why not? Why should we abide by this ancient taboo? And 25 are still like, no, that's gross. So, uh, it, but it is, it, they're positioning it as the new marriage equality. Like gays are married now. Let's let cousins get married. That's really funny. 
Well, and Jay Cousins. Don't forget about them. <laughs> so AJ Jacobs, author of a bunch of New York Times bestselling books, very funny guy. Also starting the you know having throwing June sixth. Is it June sixth or June fifth? June sixth. June sixth. Don't show up on June fifth. You know what'll be there. But. June sixth at the World's Fair in. New York, uh, in Queens, New York, uh, the world's largest family reunion. You will be in the Guinness Book of World Records. This is your chance. Uh, That's right. How many people are speaking overall? About 30 speakers. Uh, so this is, this is almost like a TED conference. It is. It's like a family reunion meets a TED conference. That's the Anna Music Festival. And by the way, if you can't make it to New York, there are literally like going to be 30 or 50 reunions around the world which will live stream talks by you and others so if you can't make it uh yeah check out our list on the website of local family reunions so so um how does okay last question how do you how does this become part of the guinness book of world records like you call them and now like they're going to send somebody or what will happen yeah it's a very interesting process they uh you basically, they send, I've done it, and I got a list of all the things I have to do to make it official. And then you have to submit it to their team. So I have, uh, I have to, uh, you know, my birth certificate, photos, and how we're related, and all of this stuff. So um, it's very official. And actually, I'm in addition to the Guinness World Record, uh, there's a friend of mine started an awesome website called Record Setters, which is sort of the YouTube or Wikipedia of world records, where you upload your record and they, uh, and, and it could be crazy. It could be like the most number of times singing row, row, row your boat while eating a peanut butter sandwich. You know, it could be really obscure, but the idea is to make it democratic. Well, so we're going to break some of those records, too. I hope over the next year we break the record of most times someone has come on the James Altucher Show podcast as a guest with A.J. Jacobs. So that's, I love it. that's my I'm goal. <laughs> All right. In. Well, thanks a lot, A.J. This is a great show. Creativity, family reunions and everything in between. And I hope uh, all our cousins uh, come and hang out with us on June 6th in New York. Thank you, James. Yes, it's going to be fun. And as you know, you'll be there and uh, and you will meet every single one of those seven billion cousins, including Sister Sledge, which I'm very excited about. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> For more from James, check out the James Altucher Show on the Stansberry Radio Network at stansberryradio.com and get yourself on the free insiders list today. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then 
there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.